All right, welcome back to the Rebuild Health and Fitness podcast. And your podcast is? Optimize your body. See, so what we're doing today is a little bit different, right? Because we were going to do it. So we've got Martin Silver on. He was going to come on ours. We were going to go on his, but we thought, fuck it. We'll just uh, combine the two, have a roundtable chat between sort of three coaches and, and go from there. So it'll be out on our platform. It'll be out on your platform. And two birds, one stone. Happy days. As we say in Wales, happy days, but happy days. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's called, it's called efficiency. It's not being lazy. So you are obviously an online coach who helps ambitious men and women unlock their true potential. And obviously everything for you is about sort of optimizing your body. Uh, when you got in touch, it was good. Heard you were a Welshman living in Australia like myself. So there was an immediate sort of connection there as soon as you sort of have it. Sean played rugby in Wales for a while as well. So yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I was, Where um, did you play uh, uh, in Wales? Glamorgan Wanderers. Okay. Yeah. 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 I know a few of the boys down there. Actually, they're in a they're quite a good level team in Wales. Yeah. They um they had went through a bit of a rough patch, but they're fucking doing pretty pretty well now. I think they dropped down from Premiership and then I can fucked around in Div One and back to the Championship. It's or, still pretty good level. Div yeah. One. Is pretty, yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up at the, you know the area Ely, right? Just for yeah, the audience, yeah. it's quite it's quite a rough rundown area. I grew yeah. up there for like three years when I was younger, man. You got you got to watch yourself Mate, in Ely. It was such a like. You know, culture shock. You know, you walk around Australia and there's a slight different accent like compared to Queensland and South Australia. Just a bit more of a twang. Mm. For going from, say, like Cardiff to Ely, it's probably like half hour drive, if that. It's like I speak another language. Mate, 100%. You can't understand them, man. It's like, it's, it's as, Ely's as, you know, we call it common. Like common yeah. is like chavy, like bogan. You call it bogan. Ely's as bogan as it gets, basically with the Cardiff accent, yeah. All right. So talk to us firstly, just the audience let a little bit about yourself is like, what does it mean to optimize your body or sort of what does it, what does it stand for? Yeah. So for me, optimizing your body is more than just your body. So it's, you know, it's, it's everything. It's the ripple effect of emotional health, mental health. And then obviously the body is, is really the byproduct. But as you guys know, when you really optimize things and, you know, to get to that point where you're optimizing, that's kind of like a, it's like another level, right? Because you start off on your journey and you start off, you know, just, oh, you know, I'm enjoying my training and you start naturally making better decisions with food. Then you start getting more tuned in with your sleep and then you start noticing, oh, actually, you know, when I do X or when I when I have better sleep quality or eat certain foods, you know, my energy's better, my mood's better. And you start noticing that kind of ripple effect into your, into your life, right? So I think, you know, when you really do optimize your body, you get as strong as you can you know, and you're fueling your body with the right things. And as I say, prioritizing sleep and managing your stress, it just optimizes every area of your life. So that's kind of what it means, you know, to me anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think we're pretty aligned with most things. I've had a look through the gram, pretty aligned with most things. One thing I want to talk about is fasting. I've seen that you, you know, you're Jackie Chand, like, proper Jackie Chan, like, <laughs> like shredded, shredded wheat. Like, you look, yeah, Jackie Chan, that's a new one, that is. Yeah, like, you, I like that. you know, you look good, but something that I saw you doing was talk about sort of fasting or we'll talk about sort of time-restricted eating in terms of what it means to, from a health standpoint and then from a body composition standpoint as well, because I don't think they're always sort of correlated. So what's your sort of opinion on time-restricted eating, we'll call it? Yeah, time restricted. You know, I feel like you know it's a lot of people. I think you have to be again. I think you ideally, I think personally, you need to be at a good level or a decent level 
before you start implementing these things, I would say like, you know, and the difference between time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting, mm. it's actually not that different with time-restricted eating. You just kind of focus in on, you know, eating in a, in a smaller window, right? So for example, like I tend to eat in a seven-hour window on average. So break my fast midday, have two meals, one at 12, say one at six, job done. Um, so really I feel like, you know, you need to, you need to be focusing on the fundamentals before you start using these things. In my opinion, from all the people I've coached over the years, I think it's a good tool that you can use, uh, again, to, to, to optimize. Right. And also there's loads of research and stuff like that as well. Right. In terms of the benefits of, you know, all the things I won't go into, but neurogenesis and, you know, obviously, uh, gut health and immune system and stuff like that. Um, but it really depends. It really depends on what the goal is. But I think, again, I'd be open to your opinion on this. I think when people use fasting uh, as a means to lose weight, mm. for the most part, I just don't think is a good idea. Let's be honest. Most people, you know, struggle with calorie restriction. Let's be honest, right? Because there's more, you know, overweight and obese people than ever any other time in human history. So most people struggle with that anyway. So then when you bring in something in like fasting, and then again, you, what you do and you're taking away, like when you say fasting, it's like you're taking away food again, right? I just don't think like it's the best approach for most people, but I think it'd be, it can be used as a great tool. So for me, I didn't really even start implementing, you know, time-restricted eating until maybe about six years ago, just before moving to Oz. And actually, no, it was probably seven years ago when I did a, a bodybuilding comp, I started doing it because it just meant that I could eat, you know, bigger meals in a smaller window. So, you know, when you're in a calorie deficit, if I can have two massive meals or three massive or bigger meals, you know, obviously it's just better psychologically than having smaller meals. Um, so, yeah, so I've been doing it for a while, but again, I got to a good level before I was doing that. Yeah. And I got used to, I got used to what true hunger was obviously from, from bodybuilding comps. Uh, but that's one benefit I think, you know, and some of my clients actually agree with this as well and get benefits. It just kind of starts teaching you what true hunger is. Because a lot of the times we tend to just eat based on habit, most of the time, to be honest, you know, because we got bloody tens of thousands of calories of fat stored in our body. So a lot of times people are eating based on emotion. So what I found was, oh, actually, if I just, you know, go longer without food, you know, maybe break my fast at, you know, 11 a.m. instead of like 8 a.m., actually, I'm not hungry. I have black coffee. So, you know, you could say technically I'm not fasted, but I have black coffee and water. Feel fine, more productive. I noticed my energy levels were better. Uh, I noticed that my digestion, my, my gut health improved a bit as well. And uh, it just worked better for me from a health standpoint, which is what kept me going. I think that's the same concept with training and stuff, right? What keeps you going for decades with training? Let's be honest, the physique is always secondary. Mm. It's emotional and mental health and all the other stuff, right? So uh, that was long-winded, but I hope uh, that made sense, man. Yeah. Yeah, I like the sort of break apart from fasting and sort of time-restricted eating. I think the research on that is getting a little bit better. Uh, fasting... Again, it's a protocol that I used to use probably too much. It was easy. I thought, you know what I mean? I'll just limit my window. I'd limit my clients' windows, and then we're, we're, we're good to go. But I remember I fasted. Oh, God, it was a long time, long wasn't it? I would, I would never eat. I'd never eat, and I would always go, I feel I feel great. I feel great. Don't worry. Like, I feel great until I started eating again, until I started actually having breakfast and then training because I would end up training fasted and me personally I know it's n equals one me personally I wouldn't get the most out of my sessions fasted um so I started eating again and then I was just like fuck I feel much better so I could end up performing at a sort of at a sort of better level there the interesting thing you obviously said about like you started it around seven years ago and obviously the research around gut health I think it is getting a little bit stronger but it still is probably too weak right now. Do you know yeah, I mean? yeah, because it's so complex and yeah. there's so much oh, going on. Ever-changing. But again, there's some sort of yeah. basic things that are, 
you know, correlating together that we need to sort of be able to do. Um, but obviously, you have developed a hell of a lot of muscle mass over periods of time. And, you know, if you're talking about like things like muscle protein synthesis, muscle protein breakdown, then you would be opposing, not fully, because we know that total protein is the most important thing. And you're clearly getting a shit ton of protein in those two meals. But yep. from like, from a habit-based standpoint or trying to, when we're talking sort of muscle mass and trying to stimulate muscle protein synthesis as sort of much as possible, let's limit sort of muscle protein breakdown. That's sort of where I fall down with the sort of time-restricted eating for some of my clients, especially with performance goals. Mm, yeah, totally, totally see where you're coming from. But would you say, because I would say based on, again, all the people I've coached in my journey, I would say in terms of like meal timing and protein synthesis, although there's research on this, I do feel like it doesn't make any difference. Like, you know, in terms of like results, if the person is actually, and as you say, it's personal preference, yeah. if you're not performing as well, but I feel like if the person is having adequate and focusing on the big rocks, right? So mm -hmm. they're hitting the protein target consistently. They're having, they're in a calorie surplus. Cause let's be honest, that's a problem as well, right? When you eat in a smaller window, if you're trying to build, yeah. I have no problems having massive meals and I can, I can do it. Uh, but for a lot of people, they can't do that. So I feel like when those big rocks are taken care of, like I've never noticed any issues in terms of like, you know, the meal timing elements, really. Yeah. I feel like, you know, from, from my perspective anyway, it's more kind of splitting hairs. Yeah. I'm not sure with your perspective, have you noticed that, have you actually noticed that with results with clients and stuff like that with building muscle and the, the meal timing and uh, protein synthesis? Yeah, but again, there's, there's so much nuance to the individual. Of right. course, yeah. You know what I mean? It depends, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. But I mean, you, you look at bodybuilding as a whole, I think this was where the old sort of six meals over three meals would be much yeah, better. Yeah, I right? used to do that. Yeah, 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 right? And you'd hear about bodybuilders getting up in the fucking middle of the night at three o'clock to get... Fridge, a fridge next to their bed. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Muscle protein breakdown is just never going to happen. And obviously, lo even losing muscle is an extremely difficult thing to do with uh, some 100%. element of resistance training. And even maintaining muscle is... a very simple thing to do right with very minimal amount of volume um i suppose i like a lot of my clients to try and get in the habit but for me personally it does depend when they train so if they train like at our gym a lot of people will train at 5 a.m i don't want them personally to go into midday with oh yeah yeah exactly when you train yeah. that's, that's another thing it depends on what time you train as well yeah. right but you made you made a good point there real quick on that it's like it depends on um, the client and and having actually having protein more frequently i feel like for most people can just be a good habit to cement in. So if they're already in three or four meals a day, don't do anything drastic. Just try and have X amount of protein per meal. And that's always a good thing, right? It's never going to be a bad thing doing that because it's going to blunt your appetite. It's going to help you get your protein intake in. Uh, and then obviously, you know, you can bring protein synthesis into, into it as well, right? Um, so yeah, again, there's, there's a lot of nuance and it depends on the individual, but I think for most people, you know, you have got to focus on the important things, right? Before you start bringing in, you know, fasting and stuff like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cause a couple of things that you mentioned there is sort of just being able to eat that much within the window as well. Cause yeah, you, you yeah, know, yeah. that's it. I'm in like the probably 5% of people who can do that. You know, it's not many people. Yeah. Cause what I tend to see with people when they sort of, like you said, they eat between a window, but they don't eat nearly enough within that window. So they're just using mm -hmm. it as a way to reduce calories. Mm -hmm. And then yep. you do that for a, for long enough, natural physiology is going to try and get those fucking calories back, you know, That's from it. somewhere. So it's just, oh, you know, I suppose there's a little bit genetic as well to be able to handle that much food Definitely. at that period of time. Because again, people Definitely. just under eat. And then I suppose it takes some element of sort of, discipline to just be like these are the times that i will eat nothing else will go off you know yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah it takes, takes you a long time doesn't it but yeah for me i have to you know i like to go for walks after my meals yeah. but again everyone, yeah. not everyone has these luxuries right i can plan my day i work from home whatever 
and I go for a walk after eating 15, sometimes 30 minutes. And obviously that really aids digestion. But yeah, with energy management, like I have to get my best work done in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Mm. If I don't, you know, my productivity after having a big meal, it yeah. does drop a little bit anyway in the afternoon, but it, it just does drop a little bit. Even if I go for a walk, you know, I'm after kind of recharge. Yeah. <laughs> I think insane. we've sort of found that over the years as well. Like the, o- the older we get. <laughs> the older we get. Yeah, yeah, same, man. The more like cognitively demanding tasks that we have to do, like we get it. Like if we can get that shit done sort of early hours in the morning, anything like post lunchtime, if I have to like write something down or you use my brain for like quite an intense task after lunch, I'm like, man, I just want to have a nap. So I'm, yeah, I'm 100%. Done for the day. But then you've got two states, right? Obviously, two states of stress. And when you obviously consume a big meal, then your body wants to slow that down to sort of, so you mm. can digest it, right? It wants to be able to slow it down. That's why, like, I'm at an age now, I don't know how you feel. I might not be optimizing my body here, but if I have a big meal, I feel like I need a nap. I'm, I just want to yeah. have a nap after it. Yeah, 100%. That's why I have to, like, I've got like a little thing now where I'll lie down. I don't really have naps anymore, but I need to lie. I think it's a good thing anyway, right? I think just stopping if you can. Not everyone's got this luxury. Yeah. If you can stop for 20 minutes, take your feet off the ground, lie down, maybe do some deep breathing, it recharges you, even if you're not having a nap. And then I'll, I'll do that. I'll lie down after my walk. You know, I might still work on my phone. Then a cold shower, and then I'm good to go. You know what I mean? So that's that's something I wanted to talk about. I had a question from the audience. We'll talk about that after. Yeah. Uh, but that's been a game changer for me as well, just the old cold showers. I've just started on the ice baths now. Okay. Can I have one after this, actually? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, Sean's a bit of a fan of the cold water. I'm a little bit of a... Uh... I'm not. I'm not. I'm not necessarily skeptical. I just don't like being cold. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, like, no, I know. You know, and I, my nap. I remember PTing back in the day for years. I would always, you know, they always start split shifts, don't you? Like big in the morning, big in the afternoon. You get home, That's right. nap, and then I decided to have two kids, so the room and nap time. So I don't have any time to nap anymore. It's like a therapy. Hard work, it's man. Like you can't, you can't win, bro. You can't win. You know what I'm saying? This is like, a tough one. It's this. You never. You're always learning, aren't you? And always trying to. Again, optimize. I think is the key word here. But you like a cold shower? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit sort of irrelevant now in summer, especially <laughs> in Queensland. Like the, easy, it's, it's you actually want a cold shower, don't you? This time, mate. It's like <laughs> easy. It's like lukewarm. It's like not like in winter. It becomes more of a challenge. But I started it just because like it was at a time where I hadn't picked up boxing yet. I was sort of transitioning out of rugby. And I was very just sort of comfortable with my routine. And I just wanted to get that little bit of like mental challenge earlier in the day i think there's nothing worse than getting up for a you know sort of 5 a.m 5 30 start at like four oh, sorry yeah for a 5 30 start at four o'clock and you have to stand there and have a cold shower just that the voices in your head be like what like no one will know if you don't have a cold shower like no one will know. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly you, you, you get you really kind of yeah, yeah rigid, you, get, you get like regimented with it don't you like i can't skip the cold shower and then you yeah. get a bit of placebo going on as well then don't you if i don't have it then <laughs> i know, I know I failed. It's, it's, yeah it's like a it's like a first sort of challenge of the day for me is like get, yeah get it done it's just that little bit of discomfort and i do like recommend it to a lot of people not necessarily because i know like you know the shower is not necessarily cold enough to elicit some of the effects of that of like say an ice bath would elicit but i think that sort of mental challenge and having a little bit of a, a deliberate sort of stressor to start the day that you can overcome and win can be really really powerful for a lot of people who might not have a lot of challenge in their lives mm, yeah i love that i'm glad you said that real quick on that that's the biggest benefit i've had you know people always talk about like physiological benefits you know heart strong all that 
It's just a mindset. Like in the winter, you do not want to have a cold shower, right? Oh, no. <laughs> but you do it and you keep doing it time and time again. It's like anything in there with people being consistent with training. Mm. You know, I bet you guys don't, you don't, you don't always get up in the morning, whatever time you train. Like I don't get out of bed doing cartwheels. Like, you know, yeah, I can't wait to get to, but once I start walking there, wake up, I get into the gym, feel great, leave there feeling like a new man, you know? So yeah. it's like, you don't even want to do that all the yeah. time. You know, people look at people like us. And they think, you know, like we always are motivated all the time, right? But no one's motivated all the time, you know? Well, it's rarer that I do want to do it. Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, there we go. And you do jiu-jitsu as well. I was showing boxes. But the amount of time, say you've had like a couple of weeks off jiu-jitsu, the, the shit that plays into my brain that I've got to go and roll with a bunch of killers on the mats and just yeah. take it. And then, you know, the, the mind games that that can sort of play. Big time. But again, if you just got no, no, no. Pick the hard. A lot of time there's so much sort of... Um, the world would be simpler if people just made pick the hard decision. There's two decisions now and again, just pick the hard one. Exactly, man. Because the easy stuff is going to, if you keep doing the easy stuff, you are going to have a harder life, right? And vice versa, right? Yeah. Generally, if you do the hard shit, you, you get a bit of an easier life long term, right? Yeah. We don't really want easy, but it makes other things easier and everything else. Yeah, you see, and the older I get as well, the sort of more I do want harder mm. stuff. Like I, mm. I want to chase adversity a little bit more and I get, you know, there's being comfortable at times and you do need a good amount of balance. But like I had a client the other day and she was starting sort of her journey. She's like, I don't know if I'm excited or I'm daunted. I was like, fuck, I hope you're both. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like that's, that's growth in every situation, you know, podcasting, business, you know, if it's weight loss, it's building muscle, it's training, it's starting a new sport. Like it should be exciting. But if it's not daunting, you're probably not doing it hard enough or pushing your, so your goals sort of far enough. And I think that's one Definitely. of the exciting things about life as well is trying, like leaning into the hard stuff because like as James said, it's easy to be comfortable. And if we don't like challenge ourselves and find our heart or make deliberate decisions to make life a little bit more challenging, you're never going to realize your true genetic potential. Like I had a, one of the things we do at our, our gym to help keep people coming in is we monitor attendance weekly. And if someone's been missing for a week, like we give them a call, give them a text and help them get back in. As one of the guys, been a member for a while, he had a sort of shit end to the, the year last year. We didn't see him for like four months and I was just like messaging. I was like, mate, when are you going to come back in? He's like, oh, coach, you know, I haven't been for four months. I'm a couple of kilos heavier. I just don't know what to do. And I was just like, mate, I'm 30. I can't walk without pain. I'm getting a hip replacement. Like I wish I had the problems that you had now. The fact that you're not coming in because you're a little bit heavier, you are squandering a gift to be able to move and do what you want. And yeah, luckily he, he came in and trained that day, which was which was nice to see. But I think people, yeah, people can go through life without a lot of challenge and adversity and, you know, each their own. But I think they're missing out on some of the best parts of like being a human. Mm. 100%, 100%. I think even, this is it's the same for men and women, but I think even more so for guys as well. Because we are built like that, right? Where we need more challenge, you know what I'm saying? Like we need to be hunting, we need to be, you know what I'm saying? Like just really, really getting after it and 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 putting that stress on ourselves, right? To make us more resilient and stronger. I think it's, you know, women as well. But you see what I mean? We are wired a little bit differently where I think guys need that more so, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, hard stuff. Mm. Another thing you put about was... Um... You know, I think you called it lagging sort of body parts, but we know that we can't sort of spot reduce uh, body fat. But again, something I'll try and get across is that we can spot enhance areas. Do you know what I mean? To bring up mm. the sort of body. So instead of just going, oh, I can't do it. It's like we can sort of spot enhance these areas. You know what I mean? You want a big, you know, you want a, a bigger bum or whatever it is. It's like, well, let's build your, 
as build your glutes. So they sort of mm. met in the middle. Um, yeah, so you just want to touch on that because you did do a post on it, if you remember, about lagging body yeah, parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, I remember. So, yeah. so what's your opinion on this and how do you try and sell that? So, yeah, so it, there's a few things, right? And as you guys know, you know, the connection to the muscle, I think, is underrated, right? I think a lot of people, they want to bring up lagging body parts. And a lot of the time, they've just got a really poor connection to that muscle group, whatever it is they're trying to bring up, right? Especially if you look at areas like back, for example, right? Like the posterior chain. You know, a lot of people have kind of underactive posterior chain, however you want to say it. So just getting them to actually focus on the technique first and foremost and make sure they're actually connecting and, and, and stimulating the growth in that area. Uh, but the other big one, I think, is, again, I think underrated is is frequency, right? Training frequency. So with lagging body parts and, you know, like the typical bro split, right, which I did for, for years and years, you know, where you're just hitting chest one day, guns one day, you know what I mean? You hit, you're hammering every body part like once in a week. Obviously, if you can hit the, especially if it's a lagging body part, if you can hit that body part, you know, to ideally three times a week. Yeah. And that's why I think personally for like, you know, 80 to 90% of people, just the average person, they're going to benefit more from training the full body. And it's not just a frequency element. I think it's just a behavioral thing. The average yeah. person's way more likely to be consistent for like, you know, three sessions a week forever yeah. than they are six times a week. You know what I'm saying? So it's that as well. But yeah, I think, you know, for me personally, I train the full body. I only train three times a week. I'm aesthetically probably in the shape of my life, but I do the bands. Yeah, I use the rubber bands at home on the days in between, in between jujitsu days. So I just get a light pump up. And even that like sends a muscle building signal. So it goes back to what I was saying. So if I had a lag and body part, I would just, you know, for example, get the band and do maybe three exercises with a band, 10 minutes, just get a pump on and then stop. Uh, and then I would, you know, do the full body. I'm hitting, you know, I might just do one exercise for shoulders or maybe two on that full body session. But if I'm doing that three times a week, mm. I'm hitting that body part three times a week in the gym. Then I can get the bands out and do it again, but low intensity and get a pump on. But the thing is that intensity is really important as well, right, guys? So it's like if you're doing it that way, the intensity intensity generally should be around about moderate. You know, it really depends. But you're not hammering. You're not doing as much volume per session. But you may have seen the research, guys. It's like, especially when it comes to lag and body parts, if you split the volume up over three sessions, you actually get better results. You actually build more muscle. It was like, there's lots of research on this now. So let's say you want to bring up your shoulders, right? And instead of doing shoulders once a week, and hammering that body part and doing like 21 sets, for example, if you were to split that over three sets, let's say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you were to do like, you know, seven sets each session, so it's still the same amount of sets over the space of a week, but you're spreading that out, you're actually sending that muscle building signal then more frequently. And we all know the anabolic signal kind of dies, you know, after, well, generally up to about 48 hours, 72 hours max, right? It kind of, it kind of starts dropping generally after like 24 hours, right? So it's like, you got to be smart with it, basically, right? So would you agree that that frequency with lag and body parts is, is important? Yeah, I think, obviously, volume and intensity being sort of key in order for yeah. growth to happen. But again, if you're just smashing one body part, then, you know, there's that recoverable amount of volume as well where you're just going into such high states of fatigue where you can't even get adaptation to the body part because it's just that fucking fried. So then you can't even mm. train that body part again mm. for the next however many days until it's the next exactly. shoulder day and you just you know, repeat it. Well, like you said, you can, you know, most people will build pretty good muscle between sort of what, 10, 20 sets per muscle group per week. And if you can spread that over multiple days, it's going to be so advantageous. And then obviously with the bands and things like that, again, it's just a lower sort of intensity. But again, you've still got that increase in volume where so much mm -hmm. research is leaning towards, you know, volume being such a key factor. But like having like even, even like lower intensity at sometimes like varying intensity, varying rep ranges, you know, back in the day and still 
I go towards like 10 to 12. Do you know what I mean? Or like, you know, if, oh, fucking building muscle, like 10 to 12, where, you know, research will say we can build muscle in any rep range pretty much. Like Definitely. Any- and that, that's a really good point, man. Yeah, it's a really good point. And then varying the intensities as well. Yeah, and I was going to just say that the quality side of things, like if you're spreading your work across the week, generally rather than doing you know 21 sets in one day, you spread that out over three days, you're going to be more engaged with what you're doing. And as you as you alluded to earlier, like the mind-muscle connection plays such a key part, especially for for all level levels of trainers. But yeah, you keep, you stay engaged, you're paying attention to what you're doing a little bit more, you're not reaching those incredibly high points of fatigue, which can be valuable, but, you know, if you're doing bicep curls and you start turning it into like a, you know, start using your hips a little bit more to bring it in, start shrugging up a little bit more, you start detracting the work from the bicep itself. 100%, man, 100%. Yeah, and you, you made a good point then about the wrap ring. Just quickly talk on that because it relates to lagging body parts. It's like, the rep range that you're not, because even James, you said you fall into it as well. I used to do that as well. We just like, oh, I'll just go to the eight to 12 rep because we have this thing where we kind of prefer it as well, right? It's yes, like, again, nice. the behavioral yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And why do we always go towards the shit we like when we know if we go towards the shit we don't like generally, we're going to get, because the body thrives on novelty, right? So it's like whatever rep range you're not doing, whether that's like the one to six rep range, you know, lifting hard and heavy. So you're doing strength, low rep range, or, you know, you're doing hypertrophy, which, Again, like you said, research says used to say that that's the best for building muscle hypertrophy. But actually, you get you know obviously different types of hypertrophy, right? You get the myofibril hypertrophy from the the low rep range, and then if you go higher than the twelve to twenty five rep range, where it's like that kind of pump, you know, adaptation style training, uh, you still get carryover from that as well, right? A different type of high- so whatever rep range you're not doing generally is the ones you're going to get you know better results mm-hmm. with, right? Generally, yeah, and that's it, and just vary it and vary it, yeah, consistent. structure it, yeah, yeah, and yeah vary and have a little bit of fun with it because again mm-hmm. i think training splits even you know you come from a bodybuilding background i've never i've done like bro splits when i was young trying to get a little bit bigger but i've never done sort of serious you know bodybuilding and i can understand maybe for like true bodybuilders that are you know enhancing sort of performance to really sort of hone in on them sort of splits that sort of makes sense but for the majority of people it doesn't make any sense to be going and hitting a split one day. You know, some people go in one day and they're just going to the gym just to hit like calves or they're just going to hit like, you know, biceps. I'm like, fuck, like seriously. 100%. Like I know, unless, unless you're like a Mr. Olympia bodybuilder, yeah, like yeah. You know I'm saying. Yeah, where you're literally injecting into the bicep and then training the bicep. Then maybe exactly. have, a, have a great bicep workout. But other than that, and again, there's nothing wrong 100%. with bicep, you know, nothing wrong with curls. I'll still, whatever I do, I'll find myself in the corner just curling it out at time not curling one out curling some stuff out you know what i mean exactly but you made a good point on calves then as well lagging body parts right like you know the the small calf syndrome thing right my calves are they're okay now but in my head i've still got that dysmorphia i'm like they're shit calves and then i look and i'm go i go when do you ever put the dedication in to go to the gym and just train calves or just do more volume like you said you're not doing enough volume most of the time when you you know you're always chesting guns for guys isn't it love it great stuff yeah yeah we want to look good calves you're not going to put the same most guys just don't it's like half-hearted at best isn't it you know what i'm saying and then we all complain and i genetics play a big part but you know what i'm saying volume it's the end of it who wants to train calves calves and abs i hate training them man yeah i agree (laughs) it's the end of the session and it's just something that you'll do at the end of the session i'll just do a quick quick 20 reps and out out a go exactly Um, alcohol i don't want to touch on alcohol a little bit um i've seen that you spoke about it before we've done a full podcast on alcohol i think all of us from sort of a rugby background especially from the uk 
you yeah. know, it's a it's a very real thing from sort of early on. But alcohol sort of impacts of performance and then obviously the change of environment as well, which I want to touch on for yourself from obviously moving from Wales to Australia, which I did the same, but I was 21 at the time where you were, how old were you? 29? 29. Yeah. 29. So, so what's, what's your, your force on that? And then another thing that I've been discussing with alcohol before we may go into the science of it is because I'm trying to decrease my alcohol intake because I still enjoy beer. Like I, I still, same. I still just do. But the more I'm noticing and the more I'm discussing with more friends than it is clients necessarily that are similar to us in terms of how we grew up and played rugby and it just being that part of life because like I was with a mate and he's like, there's nothing more I enjoy more than sitting around a table in the day with my mates just having a beer. I'm like, yeah, I, I agree. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's great. So we can't, I don't think just pulling back off alcohol is enough. I think it then has to be replaced by something else, i.e., you know, training or doing something because not just not doing something is enough. Mm. Something more has to happen. So what's your, what's your opinion on sort of alcohol and sort of getting results still? You, you hit a good point there, right? It's like replacing the feeling. And this is how I educate clients who've had like issues with alcohol. You know, like some people, they, they drink, let's just say a glass of wine a day, right? That's, it's quite common for people to do that, right? To have a few drinks every day. And really, you need to be whatever feeling you're going to be getting from it. And I agree with you, man. I love drinking. Like my girlfriend now, she doesn't drink, which is great, right? But, you know, I was even just, I had like six months last year, I didn't drink at all. So I had three months to start of the year, three months towards the end of the year, I didn't drink. And now I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do at least three months now, minimum. I'm going to try and stretch it out to like eight months this year in total, you know, so I can work on it. Um, but it's, you know, it is, it does come down to like, you know, the environment as well, right? As you say who you're spending time with and stuff like that. And if you're around people, you know, yes, people all the time, and obviously people who always want to have a drink with you, then obviously it's always so much harder, right, to, to resist temptation than it is to avoid it, right? I think James Clear says that in, in the book, mm. kind of resonate with me. It's like when you're around it, to resist it, it just it, using that willpower all the time, it's just not realistic. And you're just going to be in the lion's den. But if you avoid it and occasionally just avoid the situations, don't be around it, then great. But yeah, to, to replace it, you do need to replace sometimes replace that behavior or feeling, right? So it's like, right, what can I do uh, that's going to give me the same feeling? So for example, people finish work, maybe some people listening to this, you know, finish work, get home. And it's normally like a, a cue, right? It's normally like a habit, which is cemented in. So you get home, say 6 p.m., I'm going to have a glass of wine, you know, with dinner, right? It's just a habit, right? And then you're looking for, you're looking to feel more relaxed, right? For example, you've had a stressful day, have the wine to relax. It's like, what can you do? What else can you do? What other behavior or habit that can you do that's going to serve you um, that's going to give you the same feeling, right? So whether that's, you know, a hobby you enjoy doing, you know, eating your food, going for a walk with your family, you know what I mean? Doing some meditation or yoga, going to the gym. So you're getting a feeling of some sort of relaxation or stress release, but without having to rely on the alcohol, you know what I mean? But, you know, every now and then, if you, as long as you haven't got really, you know, really poor relationship with alcohol, like I used to have, you know, I, I can go, go into that, you know, coming from the UK, like you said, you know, you just, you just grow up. It's just a way of life there, especially playing rugby. Um, but if you have got, you know, you can have a few, but that's the thing with alcohol. That's why I find with most people, it's just, even for me, I, I, I can have three or four now and be fine. I don't really, it's rare that I excessively drink unless it's like Christmas or special occasions, but it took me my whole life to get there. And let's be honest, most people, that's the thing in it. It's not just one or two. And then it's, it's more the knock on effect. I feel like it's more the, the inhibitions lower, you tend to make poor decisions or worse decisions with food. Then you might be make just make worse decisions in general, whether you're waking up, you know, you've slept with someone, whatever that is, right? You know what I mean? We've all been there, but I feel like it's the knock-on effect, right? The, the ripple effect sometimes. Yeah, definitely, man. I think it's, 
it's it's one of those things as well where people don't fully comprehend the negative effects of those full those couple casual drinks when they get home, like the flow and effect to their sleep, how it detracts from, you know, how that lack of sleep then relates to work performance, the will to want to train, and then it becomes the reliance of having the alcohol to de-stress because they're not creating or building any other habits to help them with that. Like, And like like yourself, me and James have had this conversation a million times about <laughs> trying to manage our like alcohol intake because, you know, for me, I just got to a point where, you know, I still will – you know, drink on on big occasions. I won't have like casual drinks on the weekend or when I get home or anything like that because I found that like it really detracts from my overall happiness. Like I really enjoy being productive at work, training well, using my brain to the best of my ability and being present on Sunday, you know, with, with my with my kids. So whilst like having having big sesh is is fun, it's pleasurable it's going to take away from my overall happiness. And one of the things, I just got back from holidays the other week and, you know, there, there was about 30 of us who go away to this for the last 20 years, like all my cousins, my brothers and stuff. And, you know, every night meet around someone's house or we go to the pub and everyone's having drinks. And one of the things I sort of challenged myself with this time was just to, to, not, to not drink. Like what is honestly going to change around that situation? Like is it the alcohol that's giving me the enjoyment or is it being with my like friends and family and having these conversations? Because a lot of it is environmental and I think, you know, we get conditioned. It is, it's almost like a survival mechanism, right? You don't want to be the odd one out not drinking because if you're not, you, you don't want to be the weird one. Mm. But like, and, and, and it's like, that's what it's come to, isn't it? It's a good yeah. point though because you're the weird one if you don't drink nowadays, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It's supposed to show, doesn't it? And people, and, People like, my dad's like, why aren't you drinking? I was like, oh, I just don't want to drink casually yeah. anymore. He's like, why? It's like, well, nothing's going to change in this situation whether I drink or not, except I want to get up tomorrow, like sunrise swim tomorrow morning and I don't want to wake up feeling like feeling like shit. Yeah, it's that, mm. it's, it's that pleasure of happiness that's becoming a little bit more popular, right? Just doing things that are hyper-pleasurable at that point may actually detract from overall happiness. Mm. Another thing that I try and look at with people is the sort of emotion via the logical case okay, in the brain you know over thousands of years of evolution like humans are emotional creatures and we always will be emotional creatures and i think not believing that we are is where we can probably go a little bit a little bit wrong but if you're always trying to fight your emotional side of the brain then you're always going to lose so it's just having that communication between the sort of logical side i don't know if you've read the chimp paradox yeah i, I, I was thinking exactly the same yeah, thing then, yeah. and the sort of emotional side you know, you, you're always going to lose until, yeah, until you can communicate a little bit better together. So, you know, you get home from work and you've had a stressful day and then the emotional side or the chimp in the book starts going, hey, let's have a drink. Let's have a drink. And then you just start going, no, we're not having a drink tonight. You know what I mean? Thinking that willpower is going to be enough to sort of get you over the line. Then your chimp just sort of grows stronger in this situation. And it's like, we're going to have a drink. Where if you at that point did exactly what Sean just mentioned and went, hey, I want a drink tonight. And then your logical side of the brain, but it's like, yeah, but how good are we going to feel tomorrow when I'm at that sunrise swim? Do you know what I mean? Like, how good am I going to feel there? That's, you know, that's what gives me true sort of happiness and joy. And then your, you know, your emotional side of the brain will then start going, yeah, I sort of understand that. I sort of get that. And then you sort of can live a little bit freer rather than just in this constant battle between yes and no. Mm, between the chimp and the human. Yeah, I thought that. And then just for the audience, right, in that book, it just goes to show we're like, what, 98 point... 
4% chimpanzee out of DNA, right? So it's like we're 1.6% human that's inside DNA. But that's what it is. It's the willpower element, right? It's like the chimp is like going to have a drink, and then the human side of the brain is is just trying to battle. But that willpower is just like it gets fatigued. It's just like your muscles in the gym, right? It will tire out, and then you will buckle, basically, right? So you've got to look at – you've got to look bigger picture, and you've got to – it comes down to self-awareness, guys, right, from what you were saying then. just comes down to that self-awareness, you know? How much do you want to enjoy your life really long-term, and how much do you want to be present, like uh, like you said, you know what I mean? Because it does take away from that, and it's, it's going to be a trade-off. And when you start tracking your sleep as well, like a lot of people are like, oh, no, yeah. I, I sleep fine. You ever get that? It's like, yeah, I hit oh, the man. pillow, I'm asleep. All the time. And you're like, it doesn't work like that with sleep. You know what I mean? And yeah. they drink alcohol. They're not aware of the fact of how much you just, because I track using the aura ring, man. And that's one thing that really kept me on my toes as well. You know, it's like, shit, do I want to take that massive hit on sleep mm. from having like a few drinks? You know what I'm saying? And, and massive it, hit. And that's, people don't realize it's like one or two drinks post bed, you ruin your night's sleep. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not sleeping. You've sedated yourself into sleep. And I yeah. guarantee those people who have those couple drinks before they go to bed, other ones waking up at two o'clock in the morning, struggling to be able to get back to sleep, and then when their alarm goes off at six o'clock, they wake up feeling like shit. Mm-hmm. And then it's a knock-on effect, it's then, right? The next day, tired all day, yeah. poor choices for food. Now I feel sorry for myself. Have another couple of drinks. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to get in that vicious cycle. Yeah, and then it's the loop, and then it's the weekend where they go a little bit mental. Yeah. Just touching on that as well. Just uh, touching on the sort of willpower thing, and obviously we understand as coaches that it is infinite, and the research will also tell us that it's infinite. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so a lot of people think that they fail just because they're not disciplined enough. You know, like I'm just not disciplined enough. And it's like, well, it's not the case. You're just not saying yourself up for success in this matter. And I think, you know, I've dealt with a lot of people over time that have been told by coaches that they're not just trying hard enough. You're not trying hard enough. You're not disciplined enough. And I know there is people over time that you do just want to shake them and be like that. But I think that's an easy out for coaches just to say, you're lazy. You're not mm-hmm. trying hard enough. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what's your opinion on that in terms of like discipline and how do you look at discipline? Yeah, that's a really, really good point, man. And uh, yeah, so much of that resonates with me because people do end up beating themselves up. And the message, the messaging out there, though, as you say, and again, not trying to be negative, but just like in any industry, right? There's a lot of bad coaches out there, right? And especially with the emergence online, you know, people are getting that message like, you know, I'm a failure, basically, Mm. right? You know, like the whole motivation thing as well, like all the, you know, the motivation stuff you see out there as well. It's like, you know, get after it, no days off. You know what I'm saying? Then people are looking at that. And, you know, it's, it's partly their fault because they're tuning into the wrong stuff. But they're looking at it and they're like, oh, you know, I'm a failure. You know, I should be getting after it all the time. But like we just said, like, we don't want to go to the gym. And that's us a lot of the time, right? So, yeah, going back to discipline, what I always say to people is like, and it's something I've had to connect to so I can communicate it better, is you have to have some level of uh, satisfaction from self-discipline, right? It has to be rewarding on some level, right? So you have to be connecting to the benefits that you get from being disciplined, right? For example, over time, we connect because we've been consistent for a long time. And this is what happens when, when you're consistent for a long time and you start connecting. You train in, you realize it gets to a subconscious level where you're like, no, if I don't train, then I'm not going to be, I'm just not going to be as good a person. It's as simple yeah. as that, yeah. right? My, yeah. my mood's not going to be as good. Productivity, everything's going to take a hit if I don't train, right? And if I do train on the other side, I get all these great feelings. I get that massive, and that's what we're chasing. We're chasing that dopamine hit, right? We get that reward and, and eating good as well. It's like people might look at us and go, you know, these guys, they're just like, I'm not like them. They're so disciplined, you know, they're so disciplined all the time. And that's because when we eat well, you know, making good decisions with food is something we want to do, right? So people think that we we don't want to do it. We actually want to do it because we we get the reward from it. Do you see what I mean? We're getting that reward, but 
it takes a lot of repetition to get there. But when you are, when you start just simply for the audience, just paying attention to the benefits that you get, you know, even if it means journaling and just brain dumping your thoughts on paper at the end of the day, just connecting the dots like, okay, I trained today, you know, my stress levels were lower. I noticed I was, you know, I was, I was less short fuse with my spouse, for example, or we had a, a good connection. You know what I mean? My energy levels were better throughout the day. My libido, right? All these things. When you start paying attention to these things, it just becomes a no brainer. And it like, you know, like for us now, it's just like brushing our teeth, right? Going to the gym, for example, that discipline is like, it's, it's so rewarding afterwards that it's yeah. just cemented in. It's just a pattern that's cemented in. And that's what will eventually happen to anyone who's consistent over time. But I think that comes down to your why as well, right? So, you know, you need to understand why it's important to you. Because, you know, when people come to you, they're like, yeah, you know, I just want to lose five kilos. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so why is that important to you? Because people are very surface level with what they like, you know, January, for example, now a lot of people might be, you know, I want to lose, I need to lose 10 kgs. Mm. But a lot of people, it's just surface level. It's like, why do you want to lose that weight? Oh, I just want to get it off me because, you know, I just want, I hate the way my body looks. Okay, so what will it mean to you to lose that 10 kilos? Why is it important to you? Oh, because, you know, I want to feel more confident. Why do you want to feel more confident? Oh, you know, when I put certain clothes on, I might feel self-conscious. Okay, so how's that going to impact you? Oh, well, you know, I do want to eventually kind of meet someone and, you know, I'm a bit self-conscious when I go on dates. And when you start going deeper and deeper, people then have that awareness like, oh, wow, okay, you know, um, it is actually, it's going to cost me a lot more not to actually apply that discipline for the most part, you know? And it doesn't mean to say you're going to be perfect either, right? It's like, you know, no one's perfect all the time. But if you you can, you know, be disciplined and consistent at least 80, 90% of the time all year round, um, the results will be life-changing, right? Yeah, it's that delayed gratification response. Like all the all the shit that's good for us, we don't get the effects of right away. Whereas all things that are bad for us, like 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 drinking, like smoking, we get an immediate like impact from that. And it's hard for people to realise like, hey, you know, building these habits around training, sleep, hydration doesn't mean you have to live a boring life. These are just your anchor habits to ensure that you live a great life for longer. Mm, love that. I think on the other side of that as well, just like with the the brain power, people put so much brain power and time and effort and ruin their psychology on trying to get leaner. And I'm not against people getting leaner. You know what I mean? We both we all make a career from it realistically. You know, we're getting leaner. And I did a podcast with Amelia last week and I've used it uh, this week. So I had someone yesterday and I was like, right, just here, just here. Tell me the most, you know, the five most important things in your life. And then we like another one. I was like, all right, tell me the 10 most important thing in your life. And you asked 99.99% of the world what the 10 most important things in their life are. I can guarantee fucking being lean isn't on that sheet. So why the hell do we put so much time, effort, and brain power into being lean? Such a good point. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's so clear. And usually when people write this, then you do that sort of values test and and they can see it visually. And it's like, right, just relax a little bit. But, you know, on Mm. there, there might be like, my health, my wellness, my performance, you know, other areas. Well, let's hone in on these, you know, mm. like we can work towards that as well. Like I'm not saying you, you can't be lean, but don't let that be the only driving factor that's going to get you there because I can guarantee once you are there and if we do get you there, you ain't going to be any happier than what you are now. I, prom- I promise you that. 100%. And, and that's why I love to listen to a few of your podcasts, man. And that's why I love, you know, the, the, the message you're putting out there because, that's that's such a big important message for people to understand this like you know it's actually and people hate to hear this don't they as well i don't give a shit about the process you do right it's character building right the process ultimately should be 
it sh- you should place more value on that than the progress, right? The progress comes with it. It's like a side effect. The fat loss, I always say to people, that should be a side effect of the way you're living, your behaviors, and all the stuff we talked about, right? Because ultimately, you know, when people look in the mirror, they think that it's the actual body. For example, if people are carrying too much body fat, right? Look in the mirror and they actually think it's the body that's making them unhappy. And the same thing goes, like you said, then when you get the body, they think that's going to make them happy. But the reality, when you look in the mirror, right? You're just seeing that you're just seeing the byproduct of your daily actions and decisions. And when people feel down or disappointed when they look at their body, they feel disappointed internally because of their actions and habits and behaviors, yeah. right? It's not the actual body that becomes the byproduct. So yeah, if that's one thing they can take away from this is just, you have to switch. And I'm doing this with clients and especially in January, it's like setting performance goals, or even if it's like a hobby you want to take up, right? I've done this with clients in January. Like I've taken up the ice baths this month, right? To try and try and give them a bit of a, a kick of the ass. But if you can just set performance goals, strength goals in the gym, you know, hobbies, whatever that is, you know, and then, you know, focus on the stuff we mentioned then in terms of just health, right? Behaviors, habits, alcohol, be a mindful of those things. You know, the, the body just comes with it. And that's where we're at now, right, guys? That the body, your body, is just basically the byproduct of, of all the mm. the work you put in over the years, right? But still at the same time, I don't know, I don't know, I won't speak for yourselves, but I know me and probably Sean as well. You know, how you even view yourself on a day-to-day basis changes. You know, mm. nothing changes objectively, but how you view yourself will change every day anyway. So if that's the factor that you're lying on, your brain is going to play all the tricks on you in the world. And I'll say there's nothing wrong with being lean as long as you're still performing. As soon as your metrics for performance start to drop, okay, just to be lean, it's like now we have a little bit of a problem, right? And you can probably mm. speak on it much better than 100%. myself and Sean. Yeah. You know, when you, you were bodybuilding and you have done bodybuilding shows, when you looked your best, you felt your worst. Yeah, 100% with bodybuilding. Yeah, for the most part, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. When I was like inside out lean, like literally inside <laughs> out, I was <laughs> I was uh, definitely uh, definitely at my worst. Yeah. But that's something I'll just talk on that real quick because yeah. the reason I'm talking about all this, I'm not talking about it as an outsider. I've been through all these same struggles. Fortunately, you know, I haven't been overweight and obese and stuff like that. But I've been on the extreme ends, guys, you know, in terms of like emotional eating, binge eating. I struggled with binge eating, basically, and emotional eating for like two years when I was competing. And I was always fighting to stay lean. So it goes on to what we were talking about. I was constantly, right, because I've been on stage and shredded, then you're always comparing yourself to that, right? So I'm like, right, I, I need to keep these abs, for example, right? And it would be Monday to Thursday, like restricted eating pan, maybe Friday. And then I would just go all out on the weekends, weekend warrior, drinking, eating, everything. I did that for like 18 months to two years. And that was you know, a side effect from, from competing, you know, cause you know, obviously it's not, it's not ideal for your psychology, but also hormones as well, probably out of whack, you know, and I've always done it naturally, I've never taken steroids, but even if you don't, you know, you, your hormones take a big hit. It's not a healthy thing to do. So I can relate to people, you know, with that. And, you know, only now I'm probably leaner than I've ever been all year round now. And, that, and that, I'm not thinking about it. There's no focus at all on anything I do with fat loss. It's mm. just because I've focused on strength training, building muscle. My metabolism is, you know, like supercharged now. And, you know, when you eat 100% whole foods, guys, it's, it's pretty much impossible to overeat when you get to that point, right? Mm. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah and- absolutely. No? Yeah, and again, what you... <laughs> I thought you were going to say, no, nah, I don't agree with you <laughs> no, at all. No, 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 I, agree. <laughs> I, was, I, I overate on broccoli last night. What are yeah, you talking yeah, about? Yeah. <laughs> I say it time and time again, and I, I sort of always want to reiterate, is like what you eat will dictate how you feel. Like, mm-hmm. as, as clear as day. And I'm not saying stay away from you know, 
some foods that you enjoy. I'm not saying that because, again, I, I find like I've got a quite a good balance. But the majority of your food has to be good quality food. Otherwise, you're going to feel like shit regardless of what you look like. Like, mm. regardless of what you look like. I had a question yesterday to ask yourself about, um, someone wrote in about, like, what's the best way to keep accountable? Like, how do you keep people accountable? Or how do you find that you keep yourself accountable? Great question, yeah. So with my clients, for example, I always communicate to them at the start, to be honest, that the goal is to be self-sustaining. So for anyone listening to this, you know, you have to hold yourself accountable at some point, first and foremost. So that's the way you should always look at it. You know, you, I always say to my clients, you don't want to rely on me forever. Don't get me wrong. Some people like to stay in the program because they get lots of value from it, whatever. But the reality is you don't want to have to rely on a coach forever, right? If you've got a great coach and you enjoy it, great. And you, you great. If you've got a, why not? But generally, that's not the way you should look at it, right? You should look at, right, I want to be accountable to myself at some point. I want to be self-sustaining, right? And, and how you do that is, so for me, holding my clients accountable, yes, to start with, obviously, to start the program, let's say, first 90 days, that's the minimum sign-up. We're holding them accountable, accountable more, right? So we're obviously more thorough with the checking in and, you know, making sure that they, they're hitting their targets in terms of whatever goals we've set and everything else. Um, but then, and obviously, when they get that momentum, they get the small wins. Then they start, it starts getting easier then in terms of, like, them relying on someone to hold them accountable, you know, because again, it goes back to what we were saying. They see results, they feel better. They start noticing their life is just better in general, right? Because they're just in a better place mentally. And then they're like, oh, okay. And it, it becomes like, you know, they don't rely on someone as much and they start holding themselves accountable more and more. Um, and then it just comes down to the ownership then, right? It's like, they're then just taking ownership. And if they slip up, it's okay. They can just bounce back because they know the results they've had they've had those results from not being perfect, right? First and foremost, right? So I think that's for, for most people listening. Yeah, having someone hold you accountable as well. But a lot of people think that they've got to be spot on all year round and dialed in with everything. It just doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work like that, right? But when it comes to holding yourself accountable, again, I, I just feel like, you know, you, you need to be taking ownership for your actions eventually. Um, and again, it comes down to your why as well. So it's right. I hold myself accountable though, right? By This is a big thing I do with clients as well is like setting non-negotiables. And the way we do this is we have like minimum and maximum non-negotiables. So what a lot of people do is you'll get this guys, right? For example, with training, January, great, great example now. Okay, yeah, I want to get in shape. I want to level up now this year. How many how many sessions do you want to do a week? I want to do six or seven. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how many will you do? Have you normally do? Uh, normally about, you know, one or two if I'm lucky. You know what I mean? Yeah. So people try and go from zero to 100 and they think that's going to be sustainable, you know, 99% of the time. It's not. So with clients, it's like, right, I'm meeting them where they're at, just like you guys do, I'm sure. Right, okay, well, how many, I say to them, how many sessions do you reckon you can sustain forever? That's what I say to them straight off the bat. Two a week, three a week, and they might they might go down there from like five to three or four. Okay, well, let's, let's go for the minimum non-negotiable is three sessions a week, yeah. and the maximum is four. Great. So then it's like, we'll set it over the month as well. So like, right, 12 sessions max, nine sessions minimum, boom. So then, and what happens then is research to show as well with dopamine, you actually get a much bigger, I can't remember what it was, but it's a massive bigger hit of dopamine by over, by by actually um like going over on it. So for example, smashing your target. So for a client, for example, if they were going to go for three sessions and they hit four, they get a massive dopamine hit off that then. And they get more kind of reward, rewarding kind of uh, a buzz from that, like we were talking about earlier. Whereas on the flip side, if you're setting unrealistic goals, right, then you're going to be disappointed. You get a crash of dopamine. So if you set, right, I'm going to hit six sessions a week mm. and you do three, 
you get a massive crash of dopamine that's going to that's going to drop your motivation levels and then that's when you can you can run into like that self sabotage you know what i mean so i know that was kind of a, a big answer but all relating to accountability setting those non negotiables is is really important you know but but minimum and maximum and realistic you know yeah minimum yeah. viable dose i i completely agree and it's something we'll do like i like visuals so it's like stick on your fridge and you'll have like your, yes your, your i got on the whiteboard behind me yeah 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 something things that you can just tick off and that that's exactly right you're sort of non-negotiable or what we need to do is you know two sessions three sessions that's that's it like how can you get that i'll get that 10 out of 10 wonderful again you get the other one great but you're not going to feel bad if you don't do you know mm. what I mean? And that's why I always have discussions with a few of my friends that don't believe in it. But that's why, I, to me, Mondays are really important. Like I'll always say, I am one of those never miss a Monday people. Not everyone's the same because I think if we can just tick it off on a Monday, regardless of what you've done, you know, and then train Monday, Tuesday, that's two done. You've got another fucking five days to deal with to get your extra session in. Do you know what I mean? But if we can start there so you're never chasing your tail, Matt, I like it. I completely I'm always big on that as well. I just do that naturally with clients, actually. I don't even always tell them. Like, you know, if they put Monday on the consultation, like they can train Monday, Wednesday, but the Monday's going. If they put six days and they're going to do three sessions, right, I'm putting Monday in there. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Because it just sets you up. It just sets you up, man. Yeah, and regardless of what you've done, right, then you come in with a bit more of a positive sort of attitude to be like, right, Definitely. Monday, regardless of let's let's knock this off. Definitely. My last question to you, and again, this is going to be very broad. What is the perfect diet? The perfect diet. Yeah, exactly. And as you guys always answer, right? It, it obviously depends on the person, right? Like you guys keep alluding to. Uh, but the perfect diet is going back to what we were saying, right? And a recent study, I'm not sure if you saw this study, actually it was a few years ago, but Ultra Pro said they did a cross study on two groups, basically, right? So they crossed the people over, right? Because of variances with uh, humans. And basically what they found is, long story short, um, ultra processed foods make us overeat by like 500 calories more a day, right? So if you're eating whole foods, in other words, pretty much single ingredient foods, yeah? So foods with one ingredient in, like beef, berries, banana, whatever. If you're eating those foods versus highly processed food, which have got a ton of ingredients in them and like a, a, high, you know, a, a long shelf life, then you eat like 500 calories more a day. So the perfect type of diet would be the diet, which is primarily whole foods. Now, most, most people are not going to be eating, going to go eat 100% whole foods. It's taken me my whole life pretty much to get there. Um, but even if you're eating, I'd say a bare minimum of 80 to 90% real foods, like single ingredient foods primarily. And then you have that flexibility then where you might on the weekends, whatever, have some of your, your favorite foods all good. As long as you've got it as a priority and you, you have an adequate protein, I feel like that's kind of the best diet for most people. But then it does come down to gut health. I think we talked about this maybe off air, right? Um, gut health is so important, you know? Um, so you have got to really pay attention to your gut health, your digestion, you know, like your style and stuff. Like a lot of people, when I ask clients questions, they they think it's normal to, to to have like inconsistent stool. Like they just go, oh yeah, no, I had a you know a little bit of diarrhea yesterday, but it's nothing. It's like, what? like slow down a bit. That's not normal, you know? So paying attention to that, and then this is a bit crude now, right? But paying attention to, to your stool, right? It is important in your gut health and just and just noticing. I don't know if you guys notice this, but you know, with your, your, your brain, right? Like I think like 80, 90% of the serotonin receptors are located in the gut, right? So I don't know if you guys notice this, but I notice massively if my gut's off, I'm more short fused. Uh, sometimes my sleep gets affected, my energy is affected. You know what I mean? I'm more irritable. Do you notice that? Yeah, definitely. 100%. Mm. There's um, mm. uh, even like, as, as you said, the the gut health side of things is such a massive area of research and it's quite a hard one to study because everyone's gut changes so much throughout the day. Like the microbiome in your gut is forever changing. I forget one of the, I forget who it was, but they're like gut health guru, someone who studies poo their whole life. 
they they say in terms of like if we look at like the the evolution of the, the human race from like the times of the Egyptians to now, you know, thousands of years, the equivalent to that is happening in your gut like daily. And to think that that doesn't have a role in how you think and feel is mental. And I think even mm. now there's some there there's certain probiotics that they're prescribing to people. I was talking to my cousin who's a who's a doctor over the holidays, and she says like it's really promising. Just like rather than getting people on serotonin boosters, they're prescribing them these certain pro, uh, probiotics to something something to do with the microbiome, like way above my pay grade. But it's having a really promising impact for people with depression. Makes sense, doesn't it? Hundred percent. I think the thing with the I think the thing with the gut or that I'll always go with clients is to just keep it as simple as possible as well. You know, keep an eye on your digestion. You might have an adjust, a digestive enzyme at some times, but I think fiber obviously is that that key one. Just making sure that you're getting the right amount of fiber. That seems to be the consistent thing between every sort of researcher that fiber is key. And if we can get you know thirty different sort of plants you know, per week, regardless of what that's going to be, make sure they're having some sort of fermented foods and beans and legumes that's going to be beneficial to us overall, mm. which will obviously help our poo be a little bit more consistent. Obviously, there's different types of fiber, but again, just finding that line and also knowing that you sort of adapt to the amount of fiber that you have, but just promoting, you know, a more fibrous diet is going to be the simplest thing we can do and we can objectively see that as well. Mm, yeah, and my my well, this is another conversation. We'll go too deep into this now, but I like uh, I was gonna talk about this. We could talk about this another time because I had a, a few questions for you or whatever. But that's fine. We don't want to go, go off it. too much, right? But no, I'm just gonna say in terms of like I, I eat an animal based diet now, mm. so basically I eat primarily uh, meats and fruit. Primarily, uh, obviously I get the fiber from fruit and whatnot. Mm. But certain plants, and I used to scoff at this before. Certain plants obviously do have defense chemicals, and then there's there's quite a lot of research coming out on this now. And for me personally, I was getting issues with certain, I used to love eating vegetables. I was a guy who could eat like bowls of broccoli, but I was getting, especially potatoes for me, are just a nightmare because there's certain compounds like lectins and stuff. And it's actually very complex, right? But cut a long story short, I've been thriving uh, for the last kind of two years eating like an animal-based diet. Now, is that going to be right for everyone? Definitely not. Everyone's different. Um, but yeah, like even with with me, with fiber, and there's different types of fiber and stuff like that as well, I've just got to be mindful like even if I eat like an apple, for example, I know it's and it could be other compounds as well, but um I get I get issues, you know what I mean? So it's like just everyone's different. It's very it's very nuanced. Fiber plays a part for sure, but it comes down to like what is really causing you the inflammation, right? And because it can be uh other stuff with compounds within plants, for example, it could be compounds in other stuff like vegetable oils, right? You could have seen the research on vegetable oils. And but I think most people are gonna be fine eating plants. So I don't want people to think I'm demonizing vegetables. I'm not, I'm just very in tune with my body. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very individual to the person, isn't it? For sure. I think you can, I think you can play around with it. I think we have to be, got to be careful with this sort of plant thing. Um, you know, because again, when people are starting, especially if they've been going for a long time, like yourself or myself, and we have a better understanding of our body, that's good to go. But, you know, I think this, everyone thinks sort of so dichotomously, right? It's either it's fucking yes or no plants have, mm. you know, for a while it was like, there was the carnival guys, like plants are the worst thing ever. And then there's the vegans that go and meat is the worst 100%. thing worst and then thing it's like camps it's like it's like religion now isn't yeah, it? You it's, know like, what I'm it's, like, it's like i have to pick one side where you might go i feel much better on a sort of an animal-based diet limit my vegetables i feel wonderful someone else can feel really good you know on a planet and again it's just giving people that autonomy to start thinking about themselves and how they actually feel and you know this is why it's good to sort of check in with yourself so maybe some people are better on a, a more you know just because 
certain vegetables affect certain people doesn't mean they're going to affect other people. And this is the problem exactly. with nutrition, right? And it's the way you cook them. And there's, there's all the context as well. It's like, how are you yeah. cooking the vegetables? How are you actually preparing them? You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, and this is the, the bottom line is, again, it goes back to what I was saying, the whole foods. If you're eating yeah. whole foods, right? You know, as long as you're avoiding those foods, which are designed to make us eat the shit out of them, basically, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, you, and you're paying attention to gut health, like you said, and keeping it simple. You know, it's kind of hard to go wrong, right? Yeah, and I think this is where it is, and you see this on social media, right, where people have, you know, Dave, Keto, whatever it is. Like, they're just dub- they're just doubling down on whatever that diet is. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, and it's all that N equals one. Like, work for me, therefore it has to work for you. And you're like, well, well, no, that's not <laughs> that's not how it works, you know? Because like, I've got a lot of clients on plenty of different ways of eating. Like, what's mm-hmm. going to work for the person to what's going to make the person feel as good as possible but then you know, like i said from an empathy standpoint you know with myself because i i don't feel too much i feel quite in tune with my body my poo's usually good a little bit worse after a coffee but um <laughs> <laughs> you know other, other than that we're pretty good but then obviously you've got your sort of fodmap diet as well and your elimination diet and things we can sort of play around with to see what best works for yourself but yeah, nuance. Yeah, that FODMAP thing is, that's again, it just goes to show how complex it is. If you look at that FODMAP thing mm. within itself, right, all of the different compounds that like a lot of people wouldn't be aware of, but pretty much every food, right? Mm. <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not much on that list. It's all whole foods as well. Yeah. So, it, and it's hard to kind of tease out those things, right? But as you say, as long, you don't want people to overcomplicate it either. You know, if, you, if you're feeling good, you're thriving, you know, you're having, you're having a poo every day, for example, right? And it's not, you know, without going into detail there, yeah. then, uh, you know, you, you should be good. No, this is podcast been the most poop talk we've had so far in 200 episodes, so we're good to go. Have you got anything else from your end? Uh, questions for you guys? Or anything? Yeah. Any other topics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll just, we'll just fire a couple of quick ones, right? Um, I was just going to ask your opinion because I get asked this a lot um, in terms of cardio for fat loss. Mm. So they asked me this to, to get us across to you guys. Um, what's your opinion on, I guess, you know, cardio versus kind of weight training when it comes to sustainable fat loss? I, I think the benefits of weight training for pretty much everyone will help bring about better body body compositional changes than just just straight conditioning. Um, mm. Again, I think it brings about brings about more change and it generally will lead to better health seeking behaviours. I think we were talking about this the other day with um, was it Ada? We we're just talk, we we're talking about about CrossFit athletes and like how the top ones have transitioned from like strength sports quite quite easily. You can get people who who were incredibly overweight and obese and they start they start weight training and they see these great body compositional changes and they turn into these amazing athletes. Um, whereas you don't see people who are marathon runners turning into outstanding overall athletes. They just tend to stay the same i don't know if that sort of answer your questions i just think yeah that makes a lot of sense that's a good and that's a good uh comparison actually yeah it makes think, a lot of sense i think the body composition is standpoint everyone at the end of the day no one really wants to lose weight they want to look better i think the problem with conditioning is that you become adaptable to the conditioning in terms of like energy expenditure so you just have to keep fucking doing more to get the same amount of energy expenditure exactly. and it's like, well where does it stop mm. you know it's gonna and when it does stop, exactly, when it, when it, cause it's not sustainable, because at some point you're not going to, 99% of people are not going to sustain constantly burning more, manually burning more calories, which yeah. is what cardio is, right? Yeah. So it's like less sustainable, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is less sustainable. And it's going, do you really enjoy it? Like, what are you doing it for? If you're doing it to 
elicit weight loss. Then, but again, I'm a believer that we shouldn't train to lose weight anyway. You know, it can help with expenditure, but I'm not a massive fan of just saying any mm. conditioning, be that cardio or be that the gym. But bang for your buck, I think you want to be weight training because again, your habits, behaviors, everything's going to improve. You know, when you've hit some good gym sessions and you're feeling good, you're just like, yeah, I feel good. I've never finished a run and felt good in my body. I felt good in my mind. But I've never felt necessarily great in my body. That's a really good point. There. Yeah, at the end of that, you can you can fucking do both if you want. Like, the, I go for rent. Yeah, yeah. I I I like doing both. But again, why are you doing it? Mm. I think the why you're doing it is really really important. Hundred, and it does send the thing is it does send like opposite signals as well, right? Because if you yeah. you're better off focusing, you know what I'm saying. So like, if you want to like you say improve the way your body looks, yeah, which is what everyone listening to this probably yeah. wants to do, like we all do. Uh, you know, resistance training is just like a no-brainer, right? Uh, if you want to get fit for an event or something, like you say, you're why in it? Why you, if you feel good? Great, but you're sending, you're confusing the body, right? If you're doing like yep. you're doing weight training and then you're doing like the same amount of cardio, the body's like, what's going on here? You're sending one signal to, to build and one signal to to break down. You know what I mean? So it's like just make your mind up, isn't it? Yeah, it's that sort of said principle, right? Specific adaptation to impose demands. Like you, mm. you won't see a marathon lifter, you know, a marathon runner lifting a five RM deadlift you know, realistically mm. or, or, or vice versa. So I wanted to ask you guys just, a. this has just come to my mind now, just a bit more of a, a deep question for you guys yeah. um, is like, what has been your kind of your biggest lesson? I know it's quite a deep question, right? First of all, you, James, what's been your biggest kind of lesson or, or a couple of lessons that you've learned on your health and fitness journey to kind of be where you're at now? Fuck. <laughs> I know. I should have told you about this one. Yeah. I've told you now, haven't I? <laughs> see, see, well, if I go back to like what I'm trying to do, because I've been through every sort of phase, like I'm naturally quite small. I would like to have a little bit bigger, especially when I was playing. So I've been through it all. I suppose, you know, I don't know if you've done the book Start With Why from John Bernardi, like that sort of thing. Like my sort of, like I want to create balance in thousands of people's lives. That's sort of my main pro, like true balance. Because um, I personally believe that you can fucking train like a champion. You can feel as good as you want to do. You can still eat some food that you love. You can still have a social life. You can do these things. You can do it all. So if you're willing to work on all parts and just maybe not go as extreme in any part, that's sort of my sort of overall goal. And, you know, the more people I can sort of create balance, like a lot of people come to rebuild to our gym or come to work with us because they've been gym, gym, diet, diet, years, years. And at re I'll say this is where it ends. I can guarantee this is where it ends. You know what I mean? I will teach you how to create structure and balance in your life so you can enjoy every part of it. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to hone in and be all in on one sort of thing. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, that was solid, man. Yeah. What, what about you? Sure. I just want to make sure it's Sean, right? It yeah, is Sean. Yeah, yeah. He's told me your name once, right? So I was like, <laughs> I'm not very good, Sean. Yeah, what, what would you say, mate? Um, man, uh, sim similar to James, I think my initial journey with training and the lessons all, all I had from it were all around getting better at sport and having the, the sort of aesthetic benefits that come from that is something that I really enjoyed. But now, you know, you know, bunch of injuries, not being able to physically participate in the, the sports I want to do made me sort of realize that like training for me is part of who I am, not just to be an athlete, but to be an overall better human, like to be at my best for my family, my friends, 
business partner, like I, I need to train mm. f- for the benefits that it gives me. You know, I might not gain an ounce of muscle for the rest of my life, but I'm still going to do, still going to weight train. Once I get my hip done, I'm going to rehab the shit out of it, come back and try to be the the best I can be because I know through striving to be better and maintain these habits I've built up over the last sort of 20 years, it's going to allow me to keep, you know, progressing in other areas of my life that I find important. So, you know, training for me isn't just around the, you know, the, anymore. It's not just around trying to be better at sport. It's just trying to be better at life. Bang. Wow. What a way to, what a way to wrap this up, lads. That's good. I <laughs> yeah, think you've got any more questions. That was solid. No, I think it is. I think it's just giving people the power to do whatever they want with their bodies. That's something we're sort of, it's you know, tagline. yeah, we want to give people the ability to do whatever. So I believe, you know, humans, you know, should be able to deadlift double their body weight. They should be able to do a pull up, do a push up, run 10 K. These should all just be basic human factors that we're all capable of, but humans put such a ceiling on their cap, right? You've heard of the central governor theory. No. So, so central governor theory is like, they're unsure about the, you know, what fatigue is. Is it psychological or is it physiological? Like the right? 40% rule. Have you heard of that? So, yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah. So it's like the Marines, right? So they'll go, once you're at what you perceive as your, you know, your maximum level of fatigue, you know, you're at about 40% of your body's human sort of physiological fatigue. Like there's so much more in the tank. So it's like, how can we break through that? Because humans to me, like I'll come in, some people go, oh my God, I want to run 3K this year. I'm like, seriously? Like some fuckers just ran a marathon every day for 365 days. Like how different are you to him? Like I get, well, you're not there yet, but like how different? You see humans, you know, when um, there's a car stuck on a kid and they fucking pick it up. Yeah, mate, so what we're capable of is absolutely insane, man. Yeah, so if you can just put that out there a little bit more, just be like, what, mm. are you, can you, what are you capable of? Like, never putting a cap on anything. Like, how, where can we take your potential? Mm. You know, and that's very, in, each individual, but where can we take it? And I hate seeing people putting sort of a cap on, a cap on things. Like, mm. you know, empowerment for me is massive. You know, I mean, the gym should be the most empowering place in the world. There should be nothing to do with negativity in a gym. And that's why I'm against weight loss being the gym being a place where people go to manage weight. Mm-hmm. I think if the gym is a place people go to manage weight, the gym will always be a punishment. Do you know what I mean? So it's like if, if any of my members come and tell me how many calories they've burned, I will throw their watch on the floor. Like do never tell me how many calories you've just burned during this training session, which then we go in a little bit further. Cause you know, a lot, a lot the majority of gyms now are going to heart rate monitors and they're going to fat burning zones, oxidize. But again, it sounds like great from a marketing thing, right? go into this fat burning zone and it's like wonderful. I'm like, fuck that. Do you know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing that people have to stay a certain heart rate? I get if you want to be an endurance athlete, stay, do some zone yeah. two work, but you're in a gym. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're in a gym. It should be a fucking emotional. It's a funny question. Yeah, when people ask me that, I'm like, oh, it's literally just, let's just move on. <laughs> you know yeah. let's, let's talk about something else, right? Because you've got bigger shit to worry about yeah. than where, you, where your heart rate's at on the treadmill. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. And I guess it's like a, a level to communicate and they do it culturally. But we do that with a, in our gym. So there's a community feel because we track everything. But we track everything. Mm. Every weight mm. you lift, every jump, you, do, you know, track everything objectively so we can measure and quantify progress. Yeah, what, what gets measured can get managed, right? 100%. Yeah, 100%. I don't care how many beats you are for how long you're there for. 
you know what I mean? And the whoop was, Definitely. remember the whoop back in yeah. the day? I would hate, I love the whoop. I had it for ages, right? But what would wind me up would be, I would do like a full like weightlifting session or like, and I would get like a strain of like four. I would sit, mean, on the, sit on the bike for 20 minutes, warming up, I'd get 20. I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what? Annoying. Annoying. And that's the thing with resistance training. Just on that on that note, it's like, you know, it's it's the after effect and it's stuff they're still trying to figure out with strength training, right? There's, um, and the metabolism and stuff. So it's like, the afterburn and stuff and it's yeah. like your body's automatically burning more calories so it's like there's more like if you do the track how many calories you burn lifting weights it's not about that it's about like you know if you're going to talk about fat loss for example and you don't want to think about it you let your body automatically burn more calories right mm-hmm. and it's the whole pursuit going back to what you guys are saying the behavior is the whole pursuit of trying to build muscle and get stronger and set performance goals right you know, you have to hit high protein, you have to get good sleep, you have to be healthy, let's be honest, right? So if you can always pull it back to that, the pursuit, you know, everything else comes with it, right? You love yeah, it. Man. Yeah, sick. Love it. Mine, thank you very much, mate. It was a, yeah, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure having you guys on. Just for the audience, right? Um, where can they find you, man? So we... I own- the audience knows, but... <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. If you're listening to this one, we're just going to read it. So obviously we own a company called Rebuild Health and Fitness. So Rebuild Health and Fitness on Instagram. Podcast, obviously Rebuild Health and Fitness. Um, podcast, we've got our personal Instagrams that we don't we, we do not do too much on. It's more sort of company driven than it is us. If anything, we're trying to step back, step back from the spotlight, not forward think it a little bit with where we're going. Um, yeah, but, but that's us. But what, what about yourself? Awesome. I'll add that in the show notes anyway. Yeah, just Optimize Your Body podcast is available uh, on all platforms. I know that actually my audience, I'm confused now, right? So what am I, what am I telling them? <laughs> the podcast, who's listening? Yeah, just for your audience. Yeah, Optimize Your Body. <laughs> I'm getting confused here. But Optimize Your Body podcast, yeah, for your audience. Uh, it's available on all platforms. And then just Instagram then mainly, just Martin Silver Fitness yeah. uh, on Instagram. And you're really, and, uh, really active on Instagram. Yeah, 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 I am. That's kind of my main platform. Yeah. Um, and then I got a YouTube channel as well, which is Martin Silver Fitness as well. So uh, that's kind of my my main thing. But to be honest, I need to utilize that more the YouTube, you know, because I got yeah. almost a thousand subscribers on there. But um, I share the podcast on there most most of the time. But yeah, anyway, that's where they can find me, man. All right. Well, we'll stick it all in the show notes anyway. But an absolute pleasure, mate. That was a fun little roundtable discussion. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it, man. Take care, mate.